Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Game two in the books, and we are off Tour de Cider at Suncourt Stadium, Boxhead. Here we are. Impressive performance by the uh, by the Blues at um, ANZ Stadium. Feels like almost a week ago now. Feels like an age ago, but... Um, no, good night. Dominant performance. Queensland were probably only in the game for, what would you say, maybe the first 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Yeah, and then it was pretty much a blue wash from there. Well, on review, it doesn't need much of a review, but basically, I guess uh, what you said, we started off similar to game one, didn't we? We had a little bit of ill-discipline. We had an early error, a couple of penalties, six again calls, gave them a glut of possession. Uh, they got downfield, found themselves a try. Pretty simple try in that as well. Just going to the hands and Coates, great finish. But basically after we got through that 10 to 15 minute period there where we weren't doing ourselves any favours and and knuckled down, the Blues dominated. Mm. And in particular, that last 25 to 20 minutes or so, there was a point there where literally just felt like they were camped inside Queensland's half. They had basically all the football for the last 10 minutes of the half and were waiting on them to score an extra try. And from that pressure earlier I guess I should go through first when they had all that football um, it was just from the things we didn't do in game one we talked about it when we were going forward early in game one we looked good and then we just started going sideline to sideline the halves weren't working things just didn't seem slick at all it was two sideways and game one uh, game two they just got back to basics mm. they played direct they got quick play the balls Cook probed off the back of it Tedesco was constantly in his back pocket and with that momentum they generated off the ruck and those two just pushing around the football uh, Queensland tightened up a little bit and the halves got to pick and choose their moments. No, they were both very good off the back of the roll and that was generated by the middle. Yeah, it was a field position game. Like we said in review of game one, and New South Wales kicked better. They were more disciplined for the majority of the contest and as a result had more field position, more opportunities and scored more points. They've been um, not not too similar games, but they've been decided in fairly similar way so I can't see that changing in game three uh, and look from a football perspective again we looked the more talented side but we did in game one as well led 10-0 at half time uh, and you know we've put in the worst half of the series from a Blues perspective in that second half which cost us game one so look I'm just wrapped we've got a decider it would have been, would have been it makes horrible. for a, a far better series now that we've got um, game three, especially in Queensland. I think Queensland need the advantage of the home crowd. Like, if this game was in New South Wales, I think we'd be almost a lock to win it. I, I think the unknown and the unknown in terms of an impact on the game is Suncorp Stadium. They're going to get 50,000 in there. They'll be going as uh, mad as all hell. Uh, so that that's really the only unknown in terms of an impact. I think all things equal, New South Wales have been the better side for three of the four halves. And, you know, it looks as though they should win this game. But as we saw in in game one, nothing's a certainty. And Queensland are going to have that advantage, huge advantage of a a big home crowd in game three. Uh, And they've made some changes. 
So yeah, it's 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 an interesting decider. It's you've got the I guess the added element also of the fact that a lot of these players are going to be fatigued. New South Wales, what impact is having to travel in and travel out the day of the game going to have? What impact is it going to have for Queensland just to stay put? Because it, it seemed to really benefit New South Wales just being able to not have to travel and being in their home city. Both teams travel for Adelaide, so it was equal. Well, I must think this is at least a much shorter flight in both ways. Like I know they said last time it did no, affect the, the Queenslanders, but an hour flight as compared to flying over to Adelaide. Um, you know, I know it's not ideal. No, I'm just saying that one team in this game will not have to travel. No. Same as New South Wales, didn't have to travel in game two. So it will definitely have an impact. It, 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 can't, it can't not have an impact because, you know, to get on a plane and not have that normal preparation is going to be significant. I'm not sure, uh, I'm not privy to the organisation of their accommodation and what time they land, etc. But, you know, if you look at some of the NRL teams that travelled up to Queensland, I think it was, was it Ricky Stewart that complained about the preliminary final where Canberra couldn't get in and... They had to um, had to go in late the day of the game and couldn't go to a hotel. Had to go straight to the ground. So I'm not sure what's in place for New South Wales, like whether they're able to fly up early in the morning and go to a hotel or what the organisation is. But it's going to have an impact. But uh, I don't think it's going to decide the game. No, I don't either. But uh, I guess just wrapping up the game too while we're at it. Uh, the biggest difference is the things we talked about. Last time around, basically, it's the free things. They did everything well. In particular, the kicking game was absolutely outstanding. Nathan was bashed from pillar to post by everybody, criticised to the hilt, and he couldn't have responded in a better fashion. The way he kicked and controlled things, basically the pairing between him and Cody Walker, which a lot of people criticised after one game last year, which they scrapped, which was a bit harsh, come together and and they delivered. I guess... it's really no surprise off the form they've had this year and the way they play with their clubs and their partners because realistically, Nathan is to Cody Walker what Adam Reynolds is and vice versa, Jerome Luai, you know, in comparison to Nathan playing with Cody. Hmm. He controlled things. He steered him around the field. The kicking game was absolutely outstanding. He ran the football a lot more. Defensively, it was great as always. And Cody Walker popped up both sides of the field, pushed around the ruck, pushed on the football and picked his moments like he does with Adam Reynolds and he was outstanding as well. Yeah, I would think any credit that you're giving Nathan Cleary is well-founded, but you should be given as much credit to Cody Walker because to be able to sit back and allow someone to be dominant is exactly what the side needed. I don't think that's any criticism of Luke Keary. No. But Luke Keary is a dominant ball player. They he wants to... Football. They want to share it. And... It didn't work. It, it didn't work. No. Cohesive, in terms of cohesion, it wasn't that it was anyone's fault. No, they pulled left, right, left, right. It was just... And it was just that battle of dominance. And they both probably stood back a little bit as well and thought, oh, I'll give you the ball. And, they, and they, neither of them really have dominating personalities, I don't think, either. I, you know, I think Keary... You know, he's probably got a little bit more of a dominant personality than than Cleary, but and Cleary's probably having, especially now, this game at an elite level, probably now understands that he has to build that into his game mm. to be dominant. But whatever credit we're giving Cleary, we have to give a, an absolute oh. shitload to Cody Walker because he was just happy to add his little touches, scored a try, ran the ball, defended well, had his impact when he needed to, and just let Nathan Cleary push the side around and. That's got to be the blueprint again this week. Mm. And Cook, much better in this game. Sloppy start there and probably more so uh, an even better performance given the fact they said he was crook with an infection a couple of days before in yeah, hospital. In the hospital. So, 
I think you summed it up on the night, though. One thing to point out, he needs to be more selfish when he runs. A few times he run, he ran, and instead of just taking the space or tucking it and going, we know how quick he is. He stops and wants to pass. He stops and looks for a pass, or when he's like, sometimes he just needs to burn it up and go. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to go and score, but he, he can advance the ball further or get a quick play of the ball or run. Like sometimes he yeah, does. Yeah, there's times there where he stops, he uh, surrenders space, and then passes the ball to a losing tackle. Mm. Whereas if he would have just run, gets tackled around yeah, the legs, a, the a takes yards, B gets quick play the ball. Yeah, but he needs to arc it up and spark it, it up and spark it up, just back himself out of dummy half. Tedesco and get there. Responded as we expected. Not that he was bad in game one, but he was outstanding as well. They yeah. all chipped in together. Oh, I think he needed. He probably blew the legs out in game one. He hadn't played for a month. On top of that, we're worried about the knee. There was certainly any question marks to that put away. Like he's work up the ruck. He's kick returns. Daniel Tupa. As well, his kick returns, his carries, post contact, take the the shit offload out of game one. He honestly wasn't that bad. No, he, on reflection, yeah, but I thought it. he carried the ball far better in this game. He was excellent in particular first half and the way he carried. Oh, um, aggressive! Our forward pack, Payne Haas, we, we were kind of you know a bit iffy, but he responded. Said he needed to get a bit more dog, a bit more anger about him. Uh, we started he, the he game found it. He found that as, as in the start. He found yeah. it during the game when a bit of the blue <laughs> broke out between. Him and Big Tino, wish they would have just let him go and punch holes in each other. That would have yeah. been oh, yeah. a bit of a spectacle to see with two massive human beings. They wouldn't knock the hole in a wet paper bag. Yeah, that's because everyone grabs and holds back. Just let it happen. Let it unfold. Let him go. Let the punches flow. <laughs> but um, the bench as well. The bench change was outstanding. Fanukin and Yo. Yo, especially when he got introduced because of the head knock to Frizzell. The leg speed, those two brought the footwork around the middle, the pass, like, Yo is an example, again, when we talk about someone moving in the middle, using your mobility and your footwork, instead of just running into faces and being a dumbass, just finding space. The amount of times he just last-minute slides between defenders and pumps his legs and just keeps pushing is outstanding. Mm. I wanted to see more of Brown. I was disappointed we only got to see the nutbag for 10 minutes. Yeah. And his first carry, he tried to... Ran straight over Jake Friend. ...make Jake Friend spontaneously combust into thin air. Yeah. And then he's the reason the fight happened, because Jake Friend slapped him in the back of the head. He turned around and found him. Teddy was yep. trying to break it up, and Nathan Brown had latched onto him like a pit bull and was like, I'm not letting it go. No. You can't be slapping blokes in the back of the head. We're arcing up and sparking up. But, uh, yeah, I was surprised Freddie only gave him 10 minutes. And Paulo, uh, whether the start, I didn't think he was that bad in his first stint the last game, but obviously we had no football, and error-wise we were terrible, so it kind of burned him and Safidi out. But his impact off the bench as well, again, the bench as a whole, yeah. uh, outstanding. The pack as a whole responded. Crichton was awesome as well. Crichton so many times, was just a metre away from scoring. Beating the first tackle, sliding between defenders, similar deal. He's, he's got that ability to not only break a tackle physically, but the ability to hit space or slide through or drag through. It was four be, or five times there I thought he was going to score. He'd be very close to player of the series for me. He was right now. very good. He was very good in game one as well. Uh, it was it was hard to find a bad play. Everybody did their job. Um, I thought Cleary was a deserved man of the match, but yeah, Tedesco, Cody Walker... Haas's first stint, Tupo's work, the, the bet, like it was really hard. I think the only thing that kind of bothered me a little bit again was similar to what we talked about at a game one. There was a few moments where the centres defensively weren't great. Again, early on, Jack had a few moments with Gagai, but this time obviously it wasn't as critical. It was more a bit handsy or, or taking him down or still getting to the outside. You didn't completely end up him. And he got one back on him, obviously, when he scored that try and skipped on the outside off getting a bit of early ball, which we saw him get none of in game one. Yeah. Um, and Gutherson, for the most part, much better this time. Cuts down space, was a bit better in that regard, was good on kick pressure, and his yardage was okay. But 
Uh, Catewell, once or twice there, did get around him or get the fend out. He, he, he made him meet the right hand again and skipped him at one stage during the second half when he darted away. But that's probably the only real concern I have still is defensively if we get on the back foot. But what nullifies everything, we said this from game one, win the middle. Yeah, We should win the middle. We should dominate. And I don't understand why we get away from what works. We built the last two series wins off getting through the middle of the ruck, generating quick play of the balls, and that's allowed Cook and Tedesco to pick and choose their moments and roll through the ruck, and then halves just play off the back of that. Yeah. And Cleary's kicking game off the back of that was outstanding. Like we, we kicked them to death. We turned them around. Philip Sammy must be having nightmares. Mm. The amount of times they just turned him around in particular, and why wouldn't you when you've got Addo Carr? His kick chase and his kick pressure was outstanding. Yeah. Uh, it just makes it... It makes the kick even more deadly. It's one thing to be effective and put it inside 10 or bury him down there, but when you've got someone with that caliber of speed where you can just go and play three... You know, bugger it. He's up in the line. I'm kicking him behind him because if he doesn't bust his ass to get back there, um, it's going to be a try. You know? Yeah. Nath forced, you know, at least three dropouts, I think. He kicked a 40 20 late in the game off a catch and grab, slotted in between Xavier Coates and the fullback when there was barely a 10 meter space there. Like, he couldn't have hit that one any better. There was multiple times where he dropped it inside 10, put a bomb, he isolated Holmes. He picked on Sammy. He tested out Coates, who come up with a couple. He only dropped one, but all around, you couldn't have kicked any better. Um, yeah, I'm running out of superlatives to really come up about the performance, but the biggest difference, again, this time around, discipline, why bad at the start, was much better throughout. They had a 40-minute period there where they didn't make an error. They completed at 90% for the game, and at half time they were 23 from 24. Yeah. They strangled. It's winning football, isn't they it? They did all those small things that we said, right, set starts, bashing them and killing their set starts, kick chase, kick pressure. Um, even though like the one where Friend gets caught with a dummy half and Nathan just kick pressures in there. They hit Cherry Evans more. Like just all the little free things we didn't do in game one, New South Wales did in spades in game two. Agree. Um, so I don't see any reason. I, I still think we can improve as well. Oh, 100%. And especially like you said, the, the two centre spots defensively. But you, you knock off that first 15 minutes, that, that could have been anything. And probably the scarier part again is you go through the back end of that second half Play five, shift to the edge, and Tupo gets caught with the ball. They hit Crichton, and he almost goes into score. They have a couple of offloads, goes to the hands, gets knocked down. They get six again. They kick to Tupo twice. Coates drops one. They get a repeat. Another one he taps back. Like they just they had so many chances. Yeah, you really, really felt like they could have put five or six tries on. And when they got that late one, right on half time, that was needed because if they had all that football and only come up with twelve points. Oof, it would have been a real disappointment given the amount of pressure they'd built. But uh, for Queensland, I guess a bit more of what we expected in game one. That, I thought they did extremely well to only concede 18, to be honest, with all the football they had against them. Because it basically felt, like we said, for 20 minutes, the back end of the first half, we just watched them defend their line. And they kept coming up with it. They kept coming up with it. They kept coming up with it. But the biggest concern for me, for them, Losing Munster early, obviously, we have to acknowledge that. That's a massive blood. Mm. They put everything back on Cherry Evans. It took away the bench impact they get from Hunt to bring a point of difference that you don't really get from Friend, who's a worker, who, you know, he's not generating a whole lot to start with, and he's relying on big guys like Tino and Papali, that one-two punch to do a good job, and their bench doesn't exactly create a lot for themselves, which was good to have Hunt there last week, getting out and darting and manipulating. But um, I just, I don't know what, I don't know what, I really don't know what the deal was with the scrumps. Someone was saying afterwards trying to defend that, oh, you know, the extra defender is the lock. It's like, well, when you've got players like Tedesco, Walker, and that wide receiving the ball with width, 
fast, flat. Like you've got no chance to cover them when you got your split wrong. So every scrum where they went midfield, Queensland split three three. They didn't go man on. Yeah. There was a four two split three times. Tupo almost got in once, but he pulled up the handbrake. The second time, Teddy gives him a little bit of glimpse of the space on the outside. He flew in easily, and the other time they burned him as well. Just and, and there wasn't even numbers. It was the fact that they had to overchase to try and get Addo Car and he cut back on the inside. But how you get to that sort of level in your defensive system off of scrum? is to rely on the third end of the scrum to break hard enough to get across and cover is beyond me. Mm. You should be man on. And the fact that it happened three or four times in the game and they scored off two of them. If they're not marking man on at Suncourt, they're kidding themselves. Yeah, I agree. That's an absolute blight. And again, I will, on review, give their scrum a wrap because they did bloody work hard. Two or three guys got out and they did chase across, but you're putting unnecessary pressure on your edges to start with. Yeah. And in particular, yeah, off the set start That's Valentine Holmes at fullback. That's his job to get that sorted. Oh. I don't know if that was something they talked about during the week or that's been their principle, but if, if you're not going man on off scrums and you just go, all right, well, if we're in the middle, we're going 3-3. Three, three. If they set not up on the this line, we're going 4-2. From, from but... an edge, I can understand. If they've got 6-5 and it's on a long side, like, you can solve that because you can you can have your A defender wider and you can have your scrum split faster, et cetera, et cetera. That, that, that's all good. But from the middle of the field, you need to be man on. Absolutely no argument from yeah. me there. So that that yeah, confused me on watch. And yeah. like again, like I said, they did they did a good job breaking, but it's it's really hard to recover when you're holding and holding. Uh, yeah, they solved one of them because Tupo got itchy feet and come back in, but the other two times was just training run. Yeah, and Addo Carr just stopped on a dime on the two that did overchase and scored an easy try. So if they're going to put temp fate with the strike weapons they've got there, and in particular the halves and Tedesco off those scrum plays, they'll get burned again at some court. Yeah, that's not being fixed by giving them an extra number off those set plays. That that was a bad idea. Uh, the forward pack situation, or their centres, they've probably got something to address there on their edges as well. Gagai, who did a really really good job game one, DC Sua, uh, they found some love down that side mainly off the scrum plays, not so much in general play, but that right hand edge where they've been going mostly. Kate Wells done a fantastic job in this series with the ball. He's been dynamic running. He's been good when he's got it, but that edge probably at times when they shift there on the right, uh, was a little bit disconnected and they yeah. got caught out. Kate Ball's first try made the right decision to come in and try and shut down the play, but he kind of lost his legs early. Bigger issue for me was that when Cody Walker bounced off that tackle, the inside didn't tie in. So he just broke that tackle, started running again and ran another 10 metres to score. The time after with Tedesco was Ben Hunt. Ben Hunt has a really bad habit of trying to slide off the ball before it's gone on his inside. And he wasn't up past the football, but he was already turned out. And the moment Tedesco put his foot in the turf for that second one, he had no chance. Yeah. So Munster's back. I uh, can't really say he's excellent defensively either, but as far as goal line defence and online, I think he's more likely just to go up and in rather than sliding out. As far as what they do with their back rowers, there's been a lot of talk with the changes they've probably had to make or some guys under an injury cloud. They've named Valentine Holmes at fullback again. Corey Allen has been named to debut on the wing with Philip Semi moving out of the side and on the bench Dunamis Louis drops back and Harry Grant is now on the bench and Ben Hunt out of the side completely which kind of surprised me uh, Jake Friend you can't question his work rate you can't question his toughness and what he brings to the middle but as far as what he brings in attack and what they're going to need to beat New South Wales I think they honestly need Hunt and Harry Grant a combination I agree. Of yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I get the, the thought Friends of... Friends just grinding away, tackling, yeah. but they need some impact out of that position. And I think it's been proved in the last game. If we get it right and they hold the football in New South Wales and dominate possession, you need attack. 
because trying to defend for the whole game is not going to work. I need 24 points, yeah. So I think with Hunt and Friend, you get something... Oh, sorry, Hunt and Harry, you get something you don't get out of Friend. Friend, you're going to get rock-solid defense. He made 54 tackles the other night. He was great again. Worked his ass off. He did so in game one. He serves the second to none, but he doesn't exactly jump out. He doesn't threaten around dummy half. If you start off with, say, Benny Hunt, immediately you've got an extra kicking game out of dummy half. You've got someone that can jump out off the back of Papali and Tino, which you don't really see some friend and manipulate a bit more. And then you can just bring Harry Grant out off the back of that. And when you've got Hunt back on, if you don't want to burn, you know, two changes, getting him on and back on and off the field, just play Harry for the rest of the game. Then you've got Hunt there as your backup if you lose a half or if you're worried about Harry or if he's not doing the job that you think. But Harry Grant does all those little things well. Yeah. He defends well in the middle. He pushes on everything. He supports. Every time there's a line break, he's around the football. Any time there's a line break against him defensively, he's the guy chasing. He's always number one on kick chase. There's a lot of strings to his bow. So I like the fact they've brought him in to bring something different from the bench, but I, I kind of thought, unfortunately for Friend, um, that he was the one that probably needed to move on because they're going to need more in attack if they're going to win this game. As far as the... Other shuffle, Holmes needs to go to the wing. If you're bringing Corey Allen in, Corey Allen into the side, it's to play fullback. Yeah, no, I, I said it in the preview. I, he couldn't crack fullback for the Cowboys. And on top of that, he hasn't played in how long? Seven or eight weeks? He came off an injury, played the last game or two, then he's had another six, seven weeks off, and then you've put him in straight away as a fullback. Like, yeah. I get it a few years ago, but if you're riding the hot hand and what you've seen in the final series and the way Corey Allen played at the back end of the year, you throw him at fullback, you put Holmes into the simpler role on the wing where you know he does a better job defensively than he does at fullback, take away the pressure of him organising, which is not really a strong point defensively, yep. and he's ball playing, again, saw some glimpses a few years ago, but we're talking three years ago now. Corey Allen showed at Souths that why not the quickest bloke in the world? He brings a pass because he physically threatens people when he starts to drift to the outside. And if you're not accountable on your inside shoulder, he'll run and back himself size-wise, and if you do bite in, he can pass. Yeah, um, he's solid from the back, but I, that just seems a safer option. The other talk was that the potentially Catewell to give more impact off the bench could flip to the opposite side of the field to push Sewer back to the bench. Um, I guess that depends on how you look at their bench. Like again, there's not a whole lot of impact. Collins, Arrow, Louis, you got three middles basically. Yeah, Arrow's the only one with a sort of any sort of footwork, a little bit of an offload. Collins tries hard, Louis tries hard, but you're not really getting anyone too dynamic off your bench. You're really relying on the two stints you get out of Papali and Tino, realistically. Yeah. And people question the interchanges in game two. I kind of look at it this way. I thought we got ours right. I think Wayne game. Bennett maybe looked at it and thought they were beaten. So Tino and Papali only just played over 40 minutes. I think they played less minutes. Or not that you want to do so, but I thought it was almost a conceding of the game was gone. Yeah. So why play them for 60, 65 minutes in a short turnaround heading back to Suncorp? Um you know, it didn't help. We like again with Munster going early, Hunt coming in, taking away that option. But um, that was possibly floated. That if Kate all goes to the back row, Sewell goes back to the bench, brings more of an impact there. And then you pick Branko Lee as the right center and push Gagai to the left, where he generally plays. I, do you think that would be too many moves to make for a decider? If you're flipping your center no, pairing, no, not if not top? if you think it's the right thing to do. So if that was the case, you'd have Gagai matched up on Gutherson, which if you think Kate Wells had a bit of success. So far, physically, Gagai has been superhuman when he yep. plays Origin. He's had a pretty good run against Jack. He might be more of a handful for Gutherson. Branko, there were some concerns at times. Me as a Melbourne fan, watching him defensively, they did a pretty good job patching up around him, and he was better. But if he was up against Angus Crichton, Cody Walker, Jack White, and Tupa, I'd be a bit worried. 
Uh, and the other talk was the potential that if that was the case with the back rowers, maybe uh, they put Felice back on the right-hand side where he plays, actually, sorry, and keep Catewell uh, on that left-hand side, but as a back row instead, sorry, with Sewer to go back to the bench. So uh, there's possibilities for changes. The only one I, I really see as the most realistic is the Holmes-Allen switch. I don't know if Wayne Bennett will go as crazy as to make three or four reshuffles like that before a decider. Yeah. But, yeah, if, if it was me who picked this, I probably would have gone, like I said, the Hunt and Harry combination as my two nines. Welch comes back in, which is handy with Parley, Tino. Munster should be right to go. Felice, Sewer. I, I, the only thing I can take with the Sewer thing is if you want to get someone back on your bench with a bit more impact. But at the same time, I think he's a back row. I don't think you throw him on in the middle or anywhere else, so you reshuffle. If you're going to get anybody back to the bench and he doesn't deserve to be put back with the two games he's played, but if you wanted to put Gagai to his natural left-hand side, give Branko a game if we thought that helped you, I'd maybe have Catewell as my utility player who can cover back row and middle, centre. But all in all, compared to the New South Wales side of things, they don't have really somebody that they can bring on like a Yo or like a Paulo who's going to make that sort of impact. Second phase, quick play of the balls or when we had Murray previously... Brown, we have multiple guys there that have footwork, a pass, extra elements to their games. That's right. Uh, yeah. Moiaki, out of the guys that have been named in the 21s, the only other one I would have considered leaving in, he wasn't bad in his debut. And again, he come on, on the back of a team that was getting trounced, but they're a bit limited this year, obviously, with what they can pick. That's exactly right. So, they can only pick what's in the bubble. So, yeah, their hands are tied a little bit, but um, they're just going to put their best, best team out there. I mean, there's no doubt they're going to make some of those changes. Whether they make all of them or not is another story, but they got shellacked, and it should have been more. It could have easily been 50. They didn't look in that contest at all, and you know, New South Wales are going to grow in confidence, so they've, they've, the ball's now in Queensland's court. They've got to make some changes and make sure that they're ready. Yep, New South Wales side of things, no changes, no surprise. I think I heard today uh, that Kiri's left the bubble. He wasn't named in 21, so... Don't blame him for that. Yeah. It's at the back end. Pappenhausen apparently was being considered to bring in onto the bench, but I don't. You, you win that game the way they did. You don't make changes. No, you don't. So I wouldn't be touching the side at all. Of the other names that were outside the 21, Luai, McKinnis, Kotrick, you make a no changes there unless you've got an injury concern. And I think the only one out of last week who had a bit of a concern was Addo Carr with his foot was on crutches at the end of the game, but they think that was something that could just be managed. So Kotrick being in the 21 says to me they've got cover there for him. Mm. Other than that, don't see any issues with the 17 they picked. No. They go the same way. And as far as looking at the two teams and what needs to be done, for New South Wales, I could go on and rant and rave about the first two games, but, but wash, rinse, and repeat of game two. Get to the middle, punch up like they did with the big boys, Haas, Safidi. Jake, this time, didn't have his hands on the ball as much and getting in the way of the halves. Nathan was the dominant one. Cody plays second fiddle off the back and everything starts first off generating ruck speed. We played wider like Queensland did in game one. Nice and wide of the ruck. Trails inside, outside of all the forward carries. Cook darting anytime he could. Tedesco truck trailing off the back of that and getting quick play of the balls as well. And then they got to the edges anytime they got momentum. And they just yeah. picked them it's apart. It's simple. Yeah, that's uh, right. The kicking game. Kick. Get to a decent field position yeah. and play from there. They kicked the way they did as well. I loved the early kicking. I really did. Like th- That's an art form. It's, it's not as simple as just going, I'll kick it because we've you know scored and we're rolling play three or four. Like The kick needs to be spot on. And in the last game, I, I couldn't think of a bad kick he put in. Even there was two bombs that looked a little bit ugly. 
but they landed in play near the sideline, inside 10. Coates let one bounce, and thank God for him it bounced out. There was a little short kind of stab kick that Nathan put in play three behind Semi, where they juggled it, knocked it on, and Gutherson almost scored off it. There were, there were so many kicks that just asked questions, not to mention the ones where Semi had to turn around and get on his bike to stop the Fox from getting him. The one that slipped in behind from Cody Walker, they scored off. like The kicking game was exceptional. So that needs to happen again off the back of the forward pack and the momentum that they've generated. Absolutely. The bench, that point of difference, it lifted the tempo this time around. Game one, losing Murray early, all the errors and ill-discipline. The bench didn't get make an impact, but this bench really did bring a change of pace, if not take it to another level. You brought off the two big boppers in Safidi and Haas and then unleashed Fanukin and Yo, Paulo. We only got Brown for 10 minutes, but again... I if you use him a bit more, all those guys can bring exactly what we just said again. Bring an offload, bring a pass, good footwork, get into spaces. Uh, yeah, I can't stress enough, especially in this environment, how important that's going to be to make sure that the bench lifts the tempo. And especially if we do get down early, there's a couple of uh, Queensland crowd penalties, which we've experienced at deciders, and everyone's going nuts and the pressure's on and the screws are getting turned. Yeah. I think probably more important of everything, and we haven't done it, in either of the first two games, we need to start well. Of all the games, this is the most important one to start well. Yep. We've conceded the first try I'd, both. Yeah, We've oh, given I... away the penalties early, errors. This I'm not game, sure how to really elaborate on that because it seems really... Simple. Simple, but, but it's... We haven't done um, it. We haven't done it, no. And uh, again, I... Queensland, full crowd. This, if there's one game you want to start well and score first to kind of just shake the cobwebs out and get the monkey off the yeah, bat. Yeah, even... This even not even score first, just if I'm Freddie, and it, again, it seems really simple, but let's go out there, tackle well, and let's just get to our kick for the first five or six sets. Uh, you know, if, if they make an error or we get a penalty, take our time with what we're doing and take the energy out of the game, take the energy out of the crowd and play at your own tempo. I think it's going to be really important for Nathan Cleary to control the tempo and I guess the atmosphere of this game. If it gets out of hand and they're scoring and they've got momentum and they're getting penalties and the crowd's influencing the referee, which is a concern for me, um, then it's going to be very hard for New South Wales to rein that back in. But if we can at least get off on the right foot and control what we can control, which is kicking game and tempo and all that sort of stuff, I think, yeah, you're right. It's going to be vitally important in terms of the energy which we give the crowd. There's no doubt the yeah. Maroons are going to give the crowd energy 100%. and the referee's going to give the crowd energy. We need to drown the them. last thing we need to do is give the crowd energy. Oh, then I'll tell you what, and again, anyone Because I'm telling you, Queensland gave the New South Wales crowd energy. Yeah. They like did. in some of the things the that they did. The crowd was good. The crowd in New South Wales is underrated. For the, for the last carry few on about years, Suncorp, but I, re, I honestly believe... It's, it's got I've been, in, I've been in louder crowds at ANZ than I have at Suncorp. Well, for the last few years, and I will give a wrap to the Blatchy side of things, which has stepped things up, it's been a lot better. Yeah. Years prior to that, obviously the results didn't help, but things used to be pretty flat when you went to ANZ Stadium. I think more for the melancholy or the expectation that we're going to get beaten, but things have really ramped up now. Yeah. Um, in particular, last week with half a crowd, they were loud. They were very loud, and they bought mm-hmm. into everything. But it's just... It doesn't need any super explanation or a real in-depth thing or pick and edges or anything like we generally do. If you honestly just go back and watch that game, if New South Wales go set for set and cycle, that's the easiest way to see a better football team. Whenever yeah. they cycled and they completed, like I said, with only one error to start the game and then they went 40 minutes without making an error and were completing at 96%. When that happened, 
the disproportionate amount of meters they were making per set, the territory, the possession, the field position they were turning over with. Like you just looked at that chess game on the kicking game and the starting positions, the back and forth. New South Wales were at a point there where they were almost starting on halfway. Absolutely. Off the back of some of the kicks. Queensland were struggling to get outside their 20. It's as simple as that. If they're disciplined, they kick well, they don't give away penalties, they don't make shit errors and don't try to push things too crazy too early and just get in a cycle, I just think they'll burn them out. Yeah. And the interchange, like I said again, brings an impact, brings energy, brings another dynamic and they lift the tempo. And all that opened up, winning that middle and getting the quick play rewards for Cook and Tedesco for then our halves to get off the back of it use the football, link up, let Cody Walker swing to both sides of the field like he did for South Sydney. Um, I honestly think it, it, it just goes back to that again. Yeah. When you complete in a game, for the for the whole game in the end there, with excluding the last couple of errors, New South Wales for the game were 40 or 45 sets, and I think three of the errors were made in the last 10 minutes when the game was done. Yeah. So two errors prior to that, you're talking like almost a 96% completion rate for the game. 1,900 metres to 1,100, bringing up again what I'm talking about. Getting in a cycle, going set for set and seeing who the better side is. There's no doubt who yeah, the better side exactly. is if they hold the football and do the little things right. Correct. So I don't have a whole lot of explanation for this one this time except what you brought up before. It does make a difference being there. It does make a difference that old Palaszczuk has suddenly busted out the 50,000 full capacity crowd. Don't get me started. Yet, no. Like I said the other week, my mate who works... Five minutes up the road. I live five minutes up the road in the mountain, but works with a bunch of us who live in the supposed poison part of metropolitan Sydney. Can go across the border, but I need to put my fucking snorkel on and drive my car without the window. Like seriously, yeah. I would honestly would have considered going. We've gone for a couple, and we haven't wanted a cider up there since two thousand and five, which I think was the is that the Freddie farewell or Joey's comeback. Joey. That was 05. That was Joey. The last few times since, we've been absolutely pummeled. I've been up there, I reckon, for every decider since. Well, man, you have gone twice, and I think you've gone a couple of once or twice. I've been four, to four deciders, I saw them. The two times me and you went. I went for Lockyer's, Lockyer's last game, Thurston's last game, when he got wheeled out in his wheelchair or whatever it was. Well, the first time you and me went was when we were down about 30 at halftime, or 28 at halftime. Yeah, we got murked. And we were so blind oh. that... I couldn't talk. We were the opposite. I get extra chatty, which, if that's even fucking possible, and you literally went mute. Oh. I was, like, looking at you. You were glass-eyed, just staring in space. I'm like, I don't even know if he's watching the game. I think I might have killed him. No. <laughs> he didn't kill me. And not, the, not Many have tried, many have failed. But and then I was, the, the uh, second time, your mate hooked us up. I was in a bad spot. For a business trip. That's right, yeah. And he gave us some elite hotel with those very rich people and lots Welsh. of suits and... The great man Welshie from Melbourne. Man, you roll he up. He listens to the show too, Welshie. One of the great. What a good egg. But how, how awkward was it rolling to that hotel? It was like in a hidden. They, I think they thought we were um, not brothers. I think they yeah, thought we were thought husband we were. and husband. He thought that he was my lover. <laughs> <laughs> I think they did. But yeah. when we walked in, I was like, we're, we're well underdressed. We got like footy bags and yeah. just a general tea, a pair of cargo shorts or something. And there was people sitting around drinking an ice riesling and. Wearing suits and ties, and I was like, Jesus Christ, the floor's marble, the bench is marble. Yeah. This is uh, this is not Western Sydney. But that was a good couple of days. Yeah, it was awesome. We had a couple of days away, went to the casino, went to the caxton again, enjoyed ourselves. It was great. Until the game of football again, where we got shellacked. Did we get shellacked? No, game? actually, that was the one where we just sucked. That was the, I think it was low scoring, but it, we just knew we weren't going to win. 
That was the I think the last we were time. in the members for that one, weren't we? Yeah, he got us. They were great. He scenes. handed over all the goods because he was uh, away for work. Unbelievable but scenes. From memory, that was the last stand of Aaron Woods and a few of those guys, and we just oh, never yeah. looked likely. The we did the mid, we did the, the the bombing special. We showed nothing in attack, and I think we ended up getting beaten late in the game. Was that Laurie's last game? It would have been one of Laurie's last series as a coach of the Blues, but. Eh. I would love to go, but Anna says no. Anna says no. She's a giffy. So, for the Queensland side of things, what they need to do, well, much similar to what we said in Game 1 and what we just said about New South Wales. Have to complete well, have to roll. There's a huge reliance, though, in the stints of Papali and Tino on the field. Tino, I thought, was good again when he was on the field. But him and Papali are about the only two that look like they can bend the line back or generate a quick play of the ball. And for that reason, that goes back to what we were talking about in having somebody to get off the back of that. So I'm surprised he hasn't gone with the double of Harry Grant and Ben Hunt to try and use that a bit more around the ruck and get guys that will jump out and play a bit more than, say, Jake Friend. Munster coming back in, obviously he was excellent game one off the back of his super bender. He was the more dominant kicker, which really surprised me. They both ran the football 10-plus times and generated 300 metres between him and DC. So the old kiss theory, keep it simple, stupid, off the back of those two big boppers if they get rolling. Uh, Welch helps you out there and pretty much plain and simple. If they don't get beaten up in the middle and they make it a bit more of a grind, their edges won't get exposed like they did last time. When you get pulled apart in the middle, you start to tighten up, your edges get opened, and that's what happened to them. Yeah. So in particular, their middle needs to be better and they're going to have a big reliance on those two guys. I can't see a hell of a lot of impact off that bench if it stays the same unless that reshuffle happens in the way that I said. Um, but yeah, kicking, all that stuff's going to be much, much better. The only other way around it, and with the crowd and the environment, is to just turn it into a shit fight. Make it ugly, niggle, yeah. lay in the rucks, like just try and get new under New South Wales skin and get them off their game. Because I thought they did a pretty good job of doing that in game one, in particular the second half, and they came out and just played simple. But yeah, uh, there's no doubt, and I'm not going to go to the extent of some of the journos who are like, it's the worst team in 40 years. It's like, well, if it's the worst team in 40 years, why'd we lose game one? Yeah, that's right. Like, all that stuff's just ridiculous, but... If you disrespect them, you will lose. And going up there is a completely different boost, like we know. But if they get a sniff early, like we said, and New South Wales don't have their heads on, and the crowd gets buck wild, and the 4X starts to flow, and the noise happens, big trouble little China. Well, Not man. a good time. But, yeah, I think it's, it's pretty simple game plans both ways. I'm, I'm just more interested to see if there's any late change on the Queensland side of things. Because for New South Wales, I see no ne- no need for change unless it's forced. And their game plan and their blueprint will be exactly the same again. Queensland exactly right. is literally stop just... Stop it. Yeah. You prove that you can't stop it. Mm. So until you do, the game plan's got to be the same. Again, kiss theory. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. It wasn't complicated at all what they did. They bust them up the middle, you start to compress and you get pulled apart, get to the edges. And they actually earn the right to get to the edges this time around. Huge difference compared to game one. But you, you Honestly, do you think there'll be changes? Do you think if you're Wayne Bennett and you're sitting down right now and I've... I'm changing the side, Just yes. ran through all that. Is Allen your fullback? Is Holmes going to the wing? Do you look at Branko? Do you leave him and... Do you leave Catewell? Like, of the limited Are options. Are we saying that Munster's going to play? Yeah. And again, that that's still something that uh, after all the talk around concussions and... Uh, that, that they basically guaranteed after game one, uh, after the game he was going to play. But there's been a bit of swirl around that after 
Cordner and the warning that New South Wales got and all the hoo-ha around concussion, which rightfully so, um, that a lot of people have been saying that he should be able to play, but I wasn't there. He apparently passed his test. The only reason he didn't come back on is they've got protocols there, and because I think he buckled or had the wobble, like it did matter if he passed or not, he wasn't able to come back on. Okay. So, so you, and neither team's allowed to play a player outside the 21, are they? You need to get an exemption Yeah. So no. if that was to be the case. They're not going to get one. But realistically, uh, who, well, what are you changing like, with what they've got there? No, right I, now? I think they'll stick with Holmes at one. I, I don't see why you would move him. Was Corey Allen, yeah. Could you play Gagai at one? Like, put your best player at one? That'd be the only move I'd make, and then maybe... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Bring Branko, if they go with Catewell and Branko, I think we'd have a field down both edges. I think that's leaving them really well exposed, in particular. Yeah, I, I, I'm just throwing. I, I don't know. I'm not really sure how you would change their side. I just know that the best player from one to five is is Dan Gagai. Yeah. So if you wanted to play your best player in your most well, again, potent position, if, if you want him to get football though, you need to do what you did in game one, which mm. is off the back of, in particular, when Tino Papali on the field and you're getting a bit of a roll on. Or you get, you have him receiving the ball from kicks and him generating some quick. Well, I still thought you. he was pretty good in game two, to be honest. So did I. I'm, he was still. I'm very just busy. saying I'm troubleshooting, looking at, I guess potential avenues that they could look at. I, throwing Corey Allen straight at one, in a Origin side is a tough ask, but you're not going to get a better circumstance though. No, in Queensland, fifty thousand. No pressure, really. Like in all honesty, regardless of what anyone says. I mean, the bigger one is who who plays half. It has to be Ben Hunt if Munster's out. If Munster's out, it is Ben Hunt. Which you know, if if that happens again, I think that spells trouble. He had a poor year, massive. Trouble. He didn't have a great night the other night. The kicking game didn't have a lot of thought. Holmes at six. He, he, really he was sloppy on six. a few of the times he received the ball. Nah, they can't do that either. I'm just looking at it again. What happens if Munster's out? If Munster's out, the only option's Ben Ben Hunt. Wow, that's it. And again, to change the bench up with what the options they've got there right now, there isn't many options. Mm. The only one is if you flip one of those middles out for Moiaki, but I doubt Edric's coming onto one of the wings unless someone's injured. Mm. Uh, Branko's, like I said, a potentially if you want to reshuffle Catewell and get Sewell back to the bench to try and make some sort of impact there. But again, I, I, I just think he's better off playing 80 minutes. He's one of their players, again, along with Papali and Tino, that has an impact. He bashes the half. He challenges the inside shoulder all day. He hits blokes on kick returns. He gets down. Like he sat a few blokes down in game two again. He poked his nose too early when they isolated Cody Walker and almost got an offload for the, one of their first tries. Um, that, yeah, and, and there's a big, a big load in this game as well. If Munster's not out on DCE, because off the back foot, it's very very hard to make an impact on the game. But he didn't have a whole lot of impact in game two. He had a little run at the back end of the game when they had that glide again. 
of ill distance from, from New South Wales, where I think we gave a couple of penalties and six agains, made an error play too, and gave him four or five sets in a row. And he got his hands on the football and played that short lead line to get Papali isolated on Cook. But other than that, his kicking game, he was pressure on height. He was off the back foot. At half time, he'd only had one carry of the football. He, he really struggled to find his way into the game. Absolutely. Munster coming back in obviously brings in somebody that's just going to run, make people accountable on that edge of the field that he's playing on. And obviously, he was more dominant than I expected him to be with his kicking game, which helps Cherry Evans out. But yeah, I, I think uh, he, he needs to be in for a big game. Has to be. Yeah. Don't have a lot more well, to add? No, I don't. No. But tips, I guess, as we always do. Uh, a winner, a first try scorer, and a man of the match. What's your prediction for the decider? Brock's head. I'll go exactly the same as what I did for game two. New South Wales by 12. Tupo first try, and I think Nathan Cleary will be man of the match again. I'd, I mean, who, who would you argue would be even oh, close to him in, in I, the last game? I had Tedesco. I thought Teddy was close. But mind no, you, Cleary. when you actually watch the game... The passes that he assisted with, and again, people look at stats and go, look, his stats were great. They're off the back of the inside work that was done. Off the scrum players from Nath, you know, the general kicking game, everything. His work was great. It could be a cook game. Nath was... It could be a cook game where he decides to run. Yep. And, you know, those things that we just spoke about, uh, he, he goes and does them and has a, a bigger impact on the game. Maybe scores a try, sets one up. But I think holistically, Nathan Cleary's got the keys to the car and... If he uh, if he's even seventy five percent of as good as he was in game two, I think he'll be close to the man of the match in this game. Well, I'm going the same again as well. I'm going to go New South Wales by eight, and I'm going Teddy for the double again. I reckon he'll go very close to man of the match, and I'm going to back him for first try. There you go. So there you go. And if that's the case, he'd be pretty close to man of the series, I think. If he racked up a performance like that, if yeah. Nathan has another big game again, he'd be close. Yeah. But. This is the. Is this still the weird voting system we had the other year? Oh, it was like five to one, and the points accumulated. Like, that confused everybody. That was the year everyone blew up when Billy Slater won it. But the voting apparently was x amount of people votes five to one. It accumulates. It wasn't off three two ones or that game. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I think last week was a great confidence builder for the guys that really needed it. Cleary, Cody Walker, etc. All the guys on debut had a good time. Anyone that had any cobwebs, game one, Paulo, Safidi, Haas that needed to shake it, shaked it, and proved the point like we said. If you do the simple things right against Queensland and just roll up the guts, you'll have great success. So hopefully success. they just go up there, block out the crowd, block out the travel. If, if anything, I think the short turnaround in this circumstance is a positive. They don't have two or three weeks to think about it mm. like they usually would. And on top of that, for everything they've been through this year during COVID, during the season for all different players, whether you're in the grand final, knocked out before the finals, during the final season, it's the end of what has been a hell of a year. So if I'm in particular, on either side of this, I want to go out with a win. Oh, yeah. After the COVID season oh, yeah. and this crazy circumstance. And if I'm New South Wales, after last week, I'm riding high. I'm not egotistical and I'm not buying into my own hype, but I'm very confident. Yeah. And I'm going to go out there with that attitude to basically... Excuse my French, say, fuck the crowd and everything that surrounds this whole environment. Like, we're here to kick the front door in, basically, and tear it off the hinges like we did in game two. Absolutely. But yeah. the start is key. 
can't start poorly like we did the last two games. Because if it happens at Suncorp, shit could unravel very, very quickly. Just off the back of that environment, the crowd, the energy they generate. So there you go. There's our predictions. Have a look at some odds before we uh, run through some general NRL stuff before we finish up. And the odds for the game, a bit closer this week, given it is a decider and it is up in Queensland, $2.90. Uh, the Maroons this time around. The Blues, $1.43. Queensland, $1 to 12 $4.13 plus, $8.50. New South Wales, $1 to 12 $2.80. plus is $2.60. The line, 6.5 this time around. So uh, the line definitely uh, a bit different than the last two games where they've given 9.5 and 10.5. And First try scorer market. Addo Carr, no surprise, $7. Tupo, your man, $9.50. Tedesco for me, 10 bucks. Whiten, Walker. 13, 15 apiece. Gutherson, 19. Uh, Cook, darting out off quick play the ball early, maybe 23. Crichton getting early ball on that edge, 26. Queensland side of things. Holmes, Coates, Allen, $12, $12, $15. guy $15. Uh, Cameron Munster, 26. Papa with a crash over. He almost did in game one. 26. Catewell, 26. DCE, $31. Felice, 36. Sewer, 36. Uh, uh, there's been no back row first try of the series, has there? No. Was it Coates both games? From memory? Uh, yeah, it was definitely Coates last game. Coates last game. Was it game one Coates first or am I... I can have a look for Off chops. Keep no, going. We led, Keep we? going. I thought we back. led 10-0. We did lead 10-0. So, yeah. I'm I off. think it was at our car. Oh, you're off your head. <laughs> I'm all over the <laughs> Too many head knocks. Anytime try scorer is usually my favourite to roll into... Some sort of uh, multi. I like Cody Walker in New South Wales. Three twenty-five you get for Cody Walker. So if you were to take that, three twenty-five into New South Wales power play, you get four dollars ten. What is it, New South Wales? New South Wales just to win. Cody yeah. Walker to score any time, four ten. Yeah, good odds. Not bad at all. Man of the match, Tedesco and Cleary, both the favourites at $6. Munster, $9. Cody Walker, $9. Cherry Evans, 11 Cook, 11 Probably a bit of value there. Papali, 15 Allen, 23 If he does play fullback and have a blinder. Harry Grant, 23 If he ends up playing big minutes at nine. Has a big impact on the game. Um, any roughies you can think of for a man of the match? Cook, what's what price Cook? Cook up is top. 11 yeah, well, if Queensland won, and uh, oh, like your Papali, 15. 15, he's still pretty short considering, really. Um, I think Angus Crichton could easily be man of the match, 26 to 1. If he has a big Jake game. Friend could easily be man of the match, 26 to 1. Gagai, $34. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. That's probably the one. Gagai. If, they, get, if they have that early swoon like we're talking about where things are just nuts and the crowd's gone burka and there's penalties and they get an early try and he's chucking blokes on the ground again. And has one of those games where he just, you know, bust eight tackles, scores a double. That's probably not a bad one to chuck a fiver on or a tenner. Yeah. If you've got a bonus bet, in particular if you bet with a tab that crashed the other week and I'm handing out bonus bets, good times. Hello. Uh, shut down. Gave me a $20 bonus bet. Oof. Thanks, tab. Well, I had a bit of a win because I had that $50 match deposit on the footy that I told you about and I got angry because they didn't give it to me. Yeah. And then after I messaged them, they gave it to me. And then after the system broke down, it might have registered. They didn't give it to me. They gave it to me again. So Super. came out 50 ed. So That's good. To the tab. 
Uh, Some people have both. <laughs> That's great. Cherry Evans style. Love it. All right. On the home stretch, what we've got, some general NRL news just to run through. Uh, obviously, a lot of talk and movement, like we said last week, in this off-season with clubs and club movement. And uh, a bit of talk that everyone's been going about for a long time now, but the Cameron Smith side of things, it looks like he's definitely done in terms of going back to the Melbourne Storm if it's going to hinder the ability of Harry Grant and Brandon Smith with the releases of his book. Um, I think the only way it plays out that he plays at the Storm again, if he does play on, is under the circumstances you said, that if they're based at the sunny coast again and the club feels like they're going to be able to hold on to everyone or if Harry Grant agrees to stay again. But I, I honestly think that it is exactly that circumstance, that if Harry Grant was to say, I'm walking away, if he's playing again... Then oh, a bit of Craig Smith David. I'm walking away. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I still think in 12 months' time they're probably going to lose Brandon because he obviously sees himself as a nine, but you wouldn't want to lose all of them. Someone needs to have a conversation with Brandon. So you're a better 13. You're a better 13. He is. I've been saying that. Especially the way the game's going. And I might sound greedy, but honestly, he's a nutcase. He's way too erratic to play nine. 13's his bread and butter. He's good there. But it's money. Yeah, I know. It's money. You get more being a nine. The manager in his ear saying, If you go play okay, though, for a year or two, then what? At, like, at what, nine? To me, he's not going to be threatened at all to be the nine for New Zealand, even if he plays lock at Melbourne. Or, I don't know. Who, who else from New Zealand is stealing his nine jersey? No, I don't know right now, but there, there'll be one come along. Yeah, well, there's not one right now. No, not right now. And let's face it, when he's played for New Zealand at dummy half on the back of that forward pack, he's been outstanding. He finds the try line yeah. like there's no tomorrow. The old wombat. Yeah. He just burrows in. And he gets there. He arcs it up. He sparks it up from dummy half. He burrows down and he gets there. He does. He can score. So that was the big thing that was coming out that, oh, you know, he's been told that if he doesn't do that, he wouldn't hold on to it from Maggie McGuire. It's like, well, Maggie McGuire, if that was to be the case, I don't know, bite. Like, who else is really competing for the nine spot right now for New Zealand? There is no one. So I don't think that jersey's threatened at all. They'd pick him in that 17 somewhere regardless. And he will get there. Because he is legit nuts. And he went on an 11-day bender. That's the kind of bloke you want your football That's chilling. So he yeah. would definitely be playing for New Zealand, regardless of whether it's nine, off the bench, somewhere. Because he is purely a nutcase. But Smith, if he does go somewhere, I'm still adamant it's not going to be the Broncos. Because in the words again today, about meeting standards, getting the best out of himself at training every day, and that environment being similar, I think if you're looking at the two sides that are in the running, if they were, anyone was going to be, and his family relocating to the Gold Coast right now, from the year that they've just had last year compared to what the Titans did last year and the players they've got coming in on board, I dare say if he's not playing for the Storm or he's retiring altogether, he'll beat the Gold Coast Titans. I think it's that clear cut and dry. Mm. Yeah, I honestly don't know. Mm. And more Storm news on the back of it. They've got Remus Smith out of his contract immediately at the Bulldogs on a two-year deal. George Jennings was also... Announced on a two-year deal, and the Fox is now staying for his last season. They've upgraded him for 2021, signed a heads of agreement for the Tigers, and a lot of people got angry about that the other day, saying, okay, so why is he staying after he wanted out and this, that, and the other? I put it to you this way, when you carry on like that and someone's got a contract, if he really wanted to get himself out of there, do you think he wouldn't be able to? Like, if he was detrimental to the club and it was untenable and he'd move on, but I dare say, and this is just... The situation, he's not pushing that hard to get to the West Tigers. And if they've topped him up for another year, I'm sure he'd have maybe 
tasted uh, the roses a little bit again after the grand final, looking over the fence with a few of the discussions he's had with a few clubs down in Sydney. Mm. So, uh, and I've also got mail on the flip side of that, that regardless of that and them being interested for 2022, that the Bulldogs are now back in the running. And I dare say, depending on the year ahead and the players that they're trying to bring into the club and the direction they're heading, as compared to the Tigers situation right now, that he probably ends up with the Bulldogs, I think, in 2022. Interesting. And with that being the case, talking about the Tigers... They're looking at James Roberts. That's a concern to me when you've already got Joey Leilua and you've overpaid for a couple of guys and you're looking to bring somebody else again that could be volatile or, you know, things could end in tears. They're talking to Josh Mansour. Obviously, there's a relationship with Justin Pascoe in that situation. Talk is that deal is basically all but done. It's more coming to terms with the years, which goes back to the point where we said a lot of Panthers fans, like when you've had injuries the last couple of years and a lot of the good stuff he's done this year is on the back of the guys inside him. Yeah. And he did have a good year. At some point, you've got to cut bait. But when you're looking at the Tigers and you've got an older veteran winger who's coming over and he'll probably get paid solid money, but when they're asking for years, and talk, like there's only a certain amount of time you can give somebody. Like I wouldn't be giving Josh Mansour any more than two years at this point in his career. No. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know what he's after, no. but if years are a sticking point and they're looking for three or four and I'm the Tigers, I'm not doing it. No. You can't do it. They've lost Sam McIntyre. He's gone to your mob, the Gold Coast Titans, on a two-year deal, which I think is great. Um, tough, uncompromising player, young guy. Only issue I think he had this year was head knocks because he goes so hard. But mm. for them, I'd almost say he's a more disciplined version of Keegan Hipgrave. So I think that's a positive. Um, and there's also now issues around Josh Allen, who's coming off contract and was trying to go to the club and reportedly things aren't looking too great there and they're not interested again in years and the money and there's a bit of interest floating around so much so that Manly immediately are pushing to try and get Josh Allier out of the Tigers into Manly to replace Adam Fennell Blake and if not they're pushing regardless to signing for 2022 so uh, a lot going on at the Tigers at the moment and the last bit was Dane Laurie from the Panthers the young fullback who played against the Bulldogs at the back end of the season they're talking to him apparently about a two year deal and trying to get him out of there so again no surprise when you have success and you've got a lot of guys on the fringe who are fighting for some football. Um, but the decision also goes back to, I guess, what we said about other guys again and the Bulldogs in different situations. Is that the right thing for you to do right now? If there's no chance of you playing in the next 12 to 24 months because there's two or three guys in front of you, I can't begrudge you. No. But you've got to be, choose wisely when you make these moves. So a lot going on at the Tigers, that's for sure. Will Chambers popped up this week as well about a return to the NRL after going to Japanese rugby and COVID hit. Uh, the talk was Newcastle were possibly looking for a veteran centre and then the Brisbane Broncos were linked to him. For more reports, they're out and the more reason for the Broncos being out is they're still stuck with a bunch of contracts they can't offload. So whether they were interested or not, they've said they're not interested, but more to the point, and a lot of people have brought up the last few weeks, they're not, they can't get rid of McCulloch. The Lodge thing has got player options. There's other guys there with player options. There's a lot of stuff they're still stuck with. So... There's still a possibility that something changes for the Broncos heading into the season, but highly doubtful. And there's not going to be offhand Gary moving on, who they tried to move on. There was other guys they've tapped on the shoulder. They're pretty much going to be the same roster next season, except Bird, who they're contributing a heavy pay packet for. Um, McCulloch coming back from his injury. Yeah, things are not looking too great at the Brisbane Broncos, but Will Chambers, something to sound out there. Would he be someone you'd be interested in after the way he played his football last year at Melbourne then basically having a whole year off 
Mm. If you needed a veteran yeah, in your group or at something. The, at the right price, yes. Yeah. He wouldn't be someone you bring him back on rep coin, that's for sure. No. He wasn't playing the best football in Melbourne, kind of gave him the tap on the shoulder. Like 300, yeah. Yeah. But, but anything more than that, I think it's a risk. Need the right club, the right environment. Um, yeah. Keep your eyes on that one. Stephen Crichton and Penrith, that one just keeps on going. The new manager situation. They've kept bringing up their adamant. They've got a handshake agreement. The manager denied that there was a handshake agreement. Then Stephen Crichton apparently told someone at the Herald only like a week or two ago there was a handshake agreement. So that's getting a bit tense at the moment. Um, obviously, the talk was originally that they agreed on a three-year $1.5 million extension. But as we know with all managers, uh, he's got a new manager on board now and they're starting to talk about four- or five-year contracts and the possibility that on the market he can get six, 700000 Again, I'd say choose wisely. Because it's one thing to get paid and move and push for years, but depending on where you end up, depending on the players around you, it's particularly when you're an outside back, depends on the quality of football you get and uh, the results you get. So in the end, I think this will all be resolved, but I always get worried when people change managers and uh, things start to get delayed. Mm. But at heart, he's a Penrith kid. Four or five of his best mates and the bigger part of the story heading into finals is him, Jerome, Toto, Spencer Leno, etc. You'd like to think that all those guys... We'd be able to sacrifice just a little bit in Penrith in particular. We'd like to to keep them all together. And honestly, at 19 years old, 500 grand is pretty good whack of cash oh. for a centre. Yeah. And we're talking, say, someone else comes For how long? Them. Three years. So it'd be 22 when the deal expires, 1.5 mil. But if I said that to you, or go to the Bulldogs for 600 at the moment, or go to the Tigers nah, for 600. I, I wouldn't be going to either of those for an extra 100k. No, and that's what I'm getting at. If, if it's a lower end. I think team, it's unders. For a centre, for him, I still yeah I I think he's he's right. I think up it's two hundred and fifty k under, but it's one season and he's nineteen. You need to see. You're sending me three. Oh no, yeah, for what we've right, seen, yeah. the sample size. I'm all I'm all with you as far as. Talent, I'd sign him seen. for. Oh, I don't know. If they want six, I'd meet him in the middle and say five fifty. And if he plays, Origin, if he wants six, I give him. I give him yeah. six. Because I still think I still think it's that's gonna, under. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But yeah, they've got to fit Yo in. They're still going to get Luai on the books. The Bulldogs have been linked to every single player at the Penrith Panthers. They're trying to buy the whole club. They've been linked to Burton. Linked to they'll, they'll, they'll want to, they'll want Burton. Linked to Spencer Lane. You, you know the one the, the one that I look at and and there's links to Barrett is Coruscant. I think that's the biggest one for Penrith to try and keep. I'm not sure how much longer he's got on contract, but. I think it was a three-year deal that he signed. So if it's year one gone in 12 months' time, Yeah, but you know what that that means. But Coruscant, age-wise as well, I'm not saying he's not going to be up playing as good a football moving forward, but if we get 12 months down the road, I think he's similar age to me. Um, and did he, he he signed a fairly cheap deal, didn't he? Oh, I thought it was a solid deal. It wasn't okay. Compared to what he'd get now, I'd probably double his value on the market That's right what now. I'm saying, yeah. If, he, so. if, if, if you played the football he played last year and hit the market, he'd be getting probably 800k. Hmm. And I think, yeah, he would have signed more around 350, be, 400. Yeah, I reckon the Bulldogs would be happy to pay him 700. So, definitely mm. one to look at. But, yeah, that's one for Penrith there that they're trying to sort out. They're still very confident. The CEO's come out and said he's a Penrith player. He will be a Penrith player. But, yeah, things have been getting a little bit itchy the last week or so with the management, that how things have dragged on. So, just wanted to keep your eyes on there. And Lainu, as I just mentioned, along with Burton, a bunch of guys have been linked to the Bulldogs. But there was talk that that one could be done as soon as the next couple of weeks. So, Given the fact they had Tamiya moving on from the club, I thought they'd want to keep Lainu. 
yeah. and keep developing him, seeing he is so young and again is in with that core group. And for him, I thought the best case scenario right now, similar to a Charlie Staines or someone, if you're worried, sign a shorter term deal. Yeah. And back yourself in a year or two to get paid or move on if you're not happy. But if I'm any of those young Penrith guys right now after what they did last year, I want to win a comp. Yeah, I agree. It's a risk. Totally like you could get in. I know, and people say, I'll take the security, and we've seen how harsh the business could be. But if I'm any of those younger guys right now, if it's 50 grand, 100 grand, whatever it is, for the next two seasons in the core group they've got, I, I want to be there at Penrith. Mm-hmm. I want to be there. But that's just me. Also, uh, thoughts and wishes are with Brent Naden, who checked into rehab today, and the club's put a statement out there as well. Hopefully, uh, everything works out and he overcomes any of the issues he's dealing with and uh, you never like to see that kind of stuff so all the best to Brent Naden and his family and uh, good on the club for the way they've handled things the Suwali Circus Brock it continues now the reports are three years <laughs> locked up and oh, signed with the good. Roosters so the Roosters have said we don't care about the clauses they wheeled out Nick Pilatus they wheeled out Sonny Bill Williams and they've basically said well once you get here it's not going to matter about any of the clauses because you're not going to want to leave so apparently they've gone under, given him basically whatever he wants, locked him in for three years from 2022 onwards. They want him right now. South has basically said, fuck you. You're not having him. We're happy to pay him 60 grand and not let him play football next year to finish his contract off, which is when, the case. When is he, how long has he got? He's got the next 12 months on a development deal, 60 grand. But apparently if he's going, and he, they're not going to play him at all. They're not going to let him play. So they'll pay him his 60K and wow. can him. So the talk is if they don't let him go early, he might end up playing rugby sevens at the Olympics if that even goes ahead this year. So nothing's been oh. announced, but all the murmurs behind the scenes, uh, that's looking pretty likely. So the fun, they've just been attacking each other the last few years. There was, a, there was a stalemate for a while where they weren't going after each other's players, but we've seen Crichton go one way. We've seen Latrell go the other way. Like it's been a back and forth. They stole one of the Roosters' best SG ball players in Talis Duncan, and now they're slipping in when they're saying we're not giving any of these demands and they're trying to take Suwali. So these two just continue to exchange barbs. It's mm. great. It's good stuff. Unbelievable scenes. Oof. Unbelievable scenes. Wow. And then some last moves before we finish off. Ignatius Parsi, released by the New Zealand Warriors, who had filled up their top 30. It looks like he's heading over to the Super League. They confirmed Marcelo Montoya last week, which filled up their top 30, but now they've got one spot left. Still interested to see if something does happen with Matt Lodge and the Broncos, but I guess you just have to watch how that plays out, considering his father-in-law is Pedro O'Sullivan. Albert Vette moved on from Melbourne, also going over to the UK Super League. And Sianu Matautia, the youngest kangaroo and captain of the Newcastle Knights, is moving to St. Helens on a three-year deal. Good signing for St. Helens. A few guys moving overseas. And the last bit of news, and one we talked about multiple times during the year, and it just doesn't go away, is that Morris still might not be the coach moving forward at Cronulla. Craziness. After the two years he's had, Craziness. young players he's brought through, uh, and what he's dealt with, with a bunch of shit contracts and old veterans and blokes that aren't his players, yeah. there's still links to good old Shane Flanagan. There's still no talk about extending Morris or getting him locked in. He's only got this season ahead. Uh, they've got links to Paul Green now, who's a former player there, and then now people are starting to talk like they're going to go after Fitzgibbon whose dad coached the club back in the day so I don't know what he has to do or if this year players out and they make the finals again and that young group that he's been to the development pathways are there I don't see how if he kept, keeps making the finals and doing things and coming off contract you've got Moyle and Dugan for feeder Woods like all these deals that he didn't sign to actually go out in the market and try and get 
his own team on the park, given he's made the finals even without players that are his or contracts that he's doing and the injuries and the, and the dramas have had, I think that'd be pretty harsh, in all honesty. I totally agree. And then part of it was... They made the finals this year. They made the finals last two years with the circumstances. So I don't understand if, if you're working under those conditions and you've barely been able to put a touch on it, why you wouldn't at least extend him for 12 months and give him a chance to try and see, you know, work with somebody because I'm pretty sure I'd heard they signed Darren Mooney but in one of those awkward situations again where he's there to sign the players and build the roster which is always awkward when you're a coach. So potentially you could do two years of groundwork, make the finals with a squad that's not yours, blooding a bunch of kids and then be either potentially punted or there with somebody else who you have to go to and talk to about all recruitment and retention who may have a completely different outtake on things than you do. Yeah, exactly. So, weird situation at Cronulla, but for all the fans there, I don't know what your opinion is, but if he was coaching my side, given the circumstance of the last two years, I'd be very surprised that they're not looking to keep him. And I'm not saying signing for five years or anything, but add a year on top of it to 2022 or give him a two-year extent, something. I don't think he's given any reason right now to move him on. Totally agree. Give him what he's done. And again, to go back to Flanagan after what happened there, and the two breaches. He brought you first premiership. He did an outstanding job with the junior pathways. Premiership. He, he did a lot, a lot of positive <laughs> things, but sure, they don't go back down that well. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Fitzgibbon, man. Paul Grant. Like, yeah, I don't know. Why would Fitzgibbon go there? Well, again, it's another long bow that, no like way. the Dragons thing, they've brought up the fact that his dad coached the club back no in the day. Why? His deal expires at the end Mate, of 2021. I would as think well. if he was going anywhere, he would have gone to the Dragons. Well, said he wanted to or, or he'll just hang at the Roosters until Robinson be, moves I, on. I wouldn't be leaving the Roosters. You'd be one of the best, better paid assistants in the comp. You're in a great environment. Yeah. I'd just be hanging out there. And I, I would think Robbo is, is past halfway of his tenure at the Roosters, would you say? Robbo's still fairly young. 2013. Though, yeah, but I, I, I feel as though at some point. he may want a different challenge or he may want to... Maybe go back to England. I don't know. Well, someone threw that out there, and we know some things that is completely false. But he married a, a French woman, and he did come from Catalan originally. That at some point they wanted yeah. to live back overseas with the kids. So again, yeah, no, I'm not saying it's going to be in the near future. No, but I think long term, you know, like it's Fitzgibbon's happy just to be his assistant, and they've got job. a good relationship. I guess the fork in the road then then becomes if they start losing, mm. you're just assuming that they're just going to keep winning. Yeah. What happens if they start losing? Someone's got to feel the axe. And, you know, if they had two or three losing seasons, it may well be that Robinson gets moved on and Fitzgibbon moves in or Robinson cuts ahead off Fitzgibbon. You you just don't know. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Sometimes you chop your assistants if you're not happy with the way things are going. But they seem pretty stable there. They do, yeah. In all honesty. So, yeah, lots of people linked to that job. But I'm just surprised that keeps popping up. Mm. Like, when you've made the finals... Underdress two years in a row. You've blood a lot of kids. You've done good things for the roster, despite a bunch of shit contracts and guys that can't even get on the field that you didn't sign. That you still seem like there's constant speculation and rumours about your job. That's not really a great work environment. Yeah, that's for sure. And you so. see around the game all the time. As soon as there's a management change or a coaching change, it just staff change. So, well, talking about changes before we finish up, a positive change is you've moved me in. And save money on your electricity and gas. Mm. How good. That's what you want. You want to be saving cash, especially during COVID times and just in all times in general because that's cash that can go towards schoonars and punting and KFC and all of life's precious things. 
That's right. Nothing quite like a drumstick from the Colonel, if I don't say so myself. Or 20, 24 for 10 right now. Whoa. I haven't had one. Oh, mate, 24 for 10, two large sides for an extra five dollar. I've thrown on five kilos over COVID, so... Ah, don't worry about it. It's all good. But move me in. Well, I certainly don't need nuggies. Yeah, you need nuggies. Nuggies in your life. I bloody threw on an XL training shirt at Mounties last week and went, oh! Yeah. Jesus. I'd so, say, yeah, I'm not fussed. Night shift this year's killed me. Oh, I'm not fussed, but I'm, I'm just saying, a bit of self-awareness. Night shift oh. life and not sleeping and just eating whatever you can at 3am in the morning. It generally doesn't work out too well. There's not too many options at 3am. No. So... But move me in. If you have not had a look at your gas or electricity for a long time, you're an absolute dropkick. Bang your head on the desk. Give yourself a triple. Save yourself some cash. It's time to have a look. And if you do, it takes two minutes. Not only that, but if you do end up making the switch, you'll get a $45 voucher to Dino. So you get a bit of deliciousness, deliciousness there. And uh, two free coffees from a local Tell you what, I've gone cafe. off the local Domino's. Yeah. Give me a couple of... Shit sandwiches the last few times I got a pizza from there. It's <laughs> like late at night, they're always open. Um, yeah, they're 24 sev. But, you know. Good if you hung out. I got one the other night after, when I got home from Origin. Drunk pizza. Drunk pizza. How good? I'd had about 30 schooners. Oof. And, uh, no, it wasn't great. I've got to be honest. It wasn't great. It wasn't great. <laughs> and uh, they're on my shit list. Well, you, so. could, you, could be, you could be doing worse. I got home to an empty cabin fridge and was eating dry jats. Oh, yeah! I just needed something to plug the hole. That's absolute filth. I was hurting. I would have rung Panthers kebabs. Oof, how good! Got the old delivery, and they pull up in your driveway at twelve thirty on a Wednesday night, and uh, Habibi's got his music going. Boof, boof. <laughs> it's like, bro, uh, they never mate, close. Twelve thirty, mate. They're good value on night That's shift not, too to go get a pizza. Fucking the sun's not up. Turn your music down. How good! But honestly, you could potentially save yourself hundreds of dollars on your bills and get free pizza. How good is that? Jump onto our Facebook. Click on the link there and a new feature, as we were told today by Chris, is you can now upload your bills onto their system and it will read it and tell you exactly how much you'll save. So they can look at your rates and what you're paying and basically chuck it straight back at you. With no call centres, no bullshit, you can find out exactly how much you're going to save. It's all so. good as long as it's not from Domino's at Samaritan. Move me in. Good times. And Brock, got to hate on. You just throw it back at the place. Got to hate on for the Domino's. So if anyone works at Domino's or knows Domino's, no, or I want it to that guy that was on the ads a few years ago that was creeping me out, I think his name was Don Mage, who's like the CEO. Don, not good enough. Right. Sort it out, mate. Sort it out, Dom. Especially, Don't skimp on your toppings. If I want extra pepperoni, yeah. I want extra pepperoni. What about there's like five, like I, I logged onto the website or whatever. Usually I just ring and say I want this to this or whatever. And um, you log on and there's like five five bars so you like one is like normal ham two is extra ham it's like fuck me how do I know how much ham like how much <laughs> ham I want I just want like a good amount of ham just cover me so pizza. I've gone to three three bars I thought well that's in the middle that that's safe and seriously it's come swimming in ham like to the point where there was pieces of ham that weren't even cheese it was like more <laughs> ham than cheese Gotta, it was like they put the, put the sauce down. Platter, yeah, they put the sauce down and they're throwing the cheese on and the meat on top of it. And, they and they've just pulled the whole bag of ham on top of it. <laughs> oh, what are you just fucking, going, what are you done here? I'm picking up pieces of pizza of and the ham's falling off it. I'm going, what is going on? Fuck, ordered a ham sandwich. Thought, I, like, I'm sauce. not sure. I, I, I thought, the person who made this pizza is drunker than me. That's what I thought. Oh, even better. Domino's, sort it out, mate. Unbelievable. Domino's, see ya. And the last one to think. But then before. New Yorkers are outstanding. <laughs> if you get the right person making it. Uh, look at him. He's loving it. Drunk Peter. Yeah, good. Fuck. The well, last that wasn't a New Yorker. That was a problem. <laughs> we went to this, the, the extra large. Well, there's a mistake, mate. Extra large Just pizza. Stick with the New Yorker. 
15 bucks delivered. Unbelievable. Straight up and simple. But tell you what, I got what I paid for. It was Oof. fucking rubbish. Cop that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. We've just shook down Domino's. <laughs> across the hey, office. Hey, 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 they're never going to be a potential sponsor of the Fifth Last NRL podcast. Brock's oh. just giving them an absolute bath. You've hammered them from pillar to post. Well, get better. That's all. The answer is a pineapple. Yeah, well, it's not. The answer is fucking do it properly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. The last one to finish this off, and again, it's that time of year, Penrith Solar Centre. Had a look this afternoon because it was flipping 40 degrees out here in the Riff. Do you reckon it was that hot? It didn't feel that hot to me, though. You wear wear my work clothes, it was fucking hot, let me tell you. But 7,000 Yeah, but I'm I'm out here all the time. That was free. The kids were complaining today. Mate. Like that's that's when you know it's hot. And we have to do prac today. I said, listen, the weather's not going to change. You picked a active subject, and it's summer, so Hefty. it's going to be hot. Well, Play on. It's the best time of the year to have a solar system and to put some money back in your back pocket. And to do that, there is no one better than the Penrith Solar Centre. So tackle your rising power bills head on with the help of a solar system. The team at Penrith Solar Centre are passionate about helping Western Sydney Sinbin rising electricity bills for good. Find out how. They can help you and your family be the real big winners this season with quality solar solutions. Visit www.penrithsolar.com.au or give them a call on 1800-2029-30 today to put some money back in the skyrocket. Great investment. It's paid for itself basically in two years, I'd say, um, with the amount that's coming back. But they can give you all your options, how many panels you can fit, the best plan, best size system, basically how long it'll take. You get all that detail from Jake and the crew there. They've got apps to help you monitor things. There's a whole range of stuff. They don't just do the dodgy pamphlet drop like some people do, put a shit system on your roof and move on. They go in depth, in detail, top to toe. You'll have all the information you want and you'll get a quality system. So oh, yeah. there you go. Move me in. Penner Sales Centre. And, uh, Great yeah. sponsor. Dominoes. Dominoes. Do a better job. Yeah. Lift. Brock's not happy. Something. There you go. So what you're hoping is that on Wednesday night, Queensland are like Dominoes. Basically. Yeah. Shit. Get obliterated. <laughs> like your pizza. You want Queensland to be like Domino's. Yeah. There you go. And you want New South Wales to be like Panthers kebabs. Just turn it up and doing the job and delivering you a great pizza at midnight. Yep. There you That's go, all. people. Bit, well, of, bit, of, bit of an inside reference for those that aren't from Western Sydney. But I won't yeah. be... Uh, I certainly won't be um, giving Domino's a buzz this week. <laughs> um, <laughs> they'll, they'll be getting... Fuck all of my money oh. for the short term. Well, that's a great way to finish things off for this week. And next week will be our last podcast for the year. It'll yeah, be... well, it's almost fucking end of the year anyway. Uh, we'll, we'll, be back. Again. we'll be back we'll be in seven previews weeks. in fucking two weeks. That's right. Jesus Christ. What's going on? But, uh, yeah, we'll be finishing off last week. We'll have a review of the Origin Series and we'll be doing our award show naming our team of the year. And then, uh, as I said last week, we'd like to say Mad Monday or a break, but football started up again. We'll be back in about 10 weeks. First so. of February is 10 weeks. What's the kick-off? I think it was March 11th or 13th was the Thursday night. They kick 11th. Off. So, yeah, it's not far. We generally drop our season preview after the trials, which is generally two weeks before the season kicks off. Yeah. Once we know everybody, because the news problem we did earlier, someone always... Have got, they already announced when the season's going to start? March, yeah. I already saw the start date, round one. Who put that up? They didn't have the draw, but kick-off date is March 11th. How do you know that? I saw it. NRL announced it. Right, yeah. March 11th, Thursday night. So if we were going to do two weeks prior to that... NRL season. What be, is it, 2021? Yep. We'd be dropping our preview two weeks out. It'd be sometime after the 25th of February. So we'd likely record that weekend, maybe Saturday the 27th. 
wow. to give it 11 days or so before the season. Because years prior when we used to do it earlier, someone got busted with cocaine or punched someone or did their ACL and one of your predictions generally just goes to shit straight away because go. of a massive change. So generally we've waited for the trials and most things to unfold before we've done our previews the last few years. And we'll probably stick to that. Yeah. Best way to do things. Play on. But there you go. For now, if you're a New South Wales or a Queensland fan, best of luck for Wednesday night. If you're a Queenslander who's up there and going to the game, get stuffed. And a Palaszczuk. I've still got beef with you. Yeah, blow it out your ass. Let me come across the border. Blow it out your ass. Blow it out your ass, Edna. <laughs> Put me fucking snorkel on and drive with it out the window to get oh, to Queensland. Honestly. Seriously, the rules. What a joke. She's but, an imbecile. Uh, everybody, if you are out there, in all honesty, enjoy the game. Absolutely outstanding. We had a cracker time game to New South Wales. There was uh, limited football this year, and obviously the grand final didn't turn out to be the game we were hoping for, so the atmosphere wasn't great. But I must say, last week's atmosphere was awesome. Yeah, it's so great. I have no doubt for game three, anyone who's up there, you're going to have an absolute cracker of a time. And super dry cans at ANZ Stadium. Oof. Get there. How, that's one of the upsides to COVID. Instead of getting cups or people yeah, pulling but, for the wrong taps. And you know what? It should it should remain because no one's throwing shit on the field. Nah. Like, that, that was the whole justification around... Uh, Get rid of them. Yeah. I'm loving the cans. They're better in the tray too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's excellent. Just throw them down your neck. Oof. Bang for your back. Park it up and spark it up. We yeah. will get there. But everyone, enjoy your week and enjoy your rugby league. Bring it on. Give us more. Give us more. Where are you going? Where, what, 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 what's going on here? Is that it? Is that it? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.